No holiday is going to slow us down here on Locked on Dolphins. It is Memorial Day, but it is also power to the pod. All of your most pressing questions pertaining to the 2023 Dolphins, we're tackling them here today on Locked on Dolphins. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami, welcome to another episode of Locked On Dolphins. It is your team every day here on the Locked On Network. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, host of Locked On Dolphins, the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with Joe Marino. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first listen of the day. It is Monday, May 29th, 2023, and today's episode of Locked On Dolphins is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel Sportsbook is the official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started. Today on the show, we are diving headfirst into uh, all of your most pressing questions. I've solicited some questions from a couple different outlets, uh, social media, my subtext community, uh, DMs that I have received uh, with the most pressing questions. Uh, that all of you have at this juncture as we are on the eve of June 1st, and obviously that's a big date for the Dolphins with a salary cap space that will open as a result of that. And um, we're going to dig in. We're, we're just kind of going to work our way through the questions. Uh, so shout out to the everydayers who are plugged in with us on a daily basis. Uh, the first round of questions is going to come from our subtext community, if you are not on the subtext community, consider this your invitation to join the fun on subtext. It's a chance to text directly with me, talk about the Dolphins. You could text Dolphins to 305-419-3924 to sign up. You get some behind-the-scenes stuff. You get some perks. You get some film studies that I do uh, that kind of dig into individual players on the team, get to text with me directly, get these questions fast-tracked on Power of the Pod, Find out if it's for you. If you like it, it's a couple bucks a month. If not, hey, no big deal. And cancel anytime through the first two weeks. But that is text Dolphins to 305-419-3924. Sign up subtext. Get the first two weeks free. So first question comes from a 978 number. They want to know what our thoughts are on Jason Sanders, if anything. Bring in competition, restructure. Would be nice to see him return to his 2020 form after a rough 2021 and a hot and cold 2022. I don't think you want to restructure this contract. I think that's the first knee-jerk reaction that I have because, yeah, you could save a couple mil if you moved his money around, but the Dolphins are looking at a clean break after this season if they want to go in a different direction. I don't think there is a clear and obvious upgrade over Sanders, particularly inside of 50 yards. I know he's been cold outside of 50 as of late, um, but I would let it ride this year. With Jason Sanders, hopefully you're in a position to kick more extra points and, and score more touchdowns as compared to field goals anyway. And, you know, he has the power. It's just the consistency in his long kicks that um, probably puts you in a position to go for it on more fourth and mid situations around the 35-40 yard line. And, hey, you know, that's one of the luxuries of having Mike McDaniel as your offensive coordinator is you know he's going to go fast. And, and obviously he's not offensive coordinator by title, but he is offensive coordinator by the guy who calls the plays. So 
I wouldn't restructure or move money back because I think that just sets you up for eating more dead cap if you move on after this year. Let, let the money be what it is this year, and you have no guarantees after this season. Danny wants to know if Channing Tindall could be moved to rush linebacker to maximize his athletic profile. And, and I see what the appeal is for him as an athlete there. Uh, but Channing Tindall, I think where he really appealed as a rusher at Georgia was in those stacked positions to run through interior gaps and come from distance with, with speed. Rushing off the edge is a very different kind of world you got to live in where they're blocking you inside out. When you're blocking from a stack position, traditionally you're coming from depth, and that means that the front is going to execute whatever game that they have to try to manipulate the center and get him to turn and commit, and then you've got a free run, or you can rip through, or you, you just have to run through a running back to get pressure. When you're rushing outside in, it's a lot more nuanced as far as being able to show your hands, forced first contact, or create missed punches on first contact. And I don't know that Tyndall coming into year two, being asked to, to learn all that at a much greater degree, um, is setting him up for any more success other than you would be trying to just get him to continue to develop and get a good firm grasp on conceptually what you're trying to do defensively and how he can fit into that piece of the puzzle. Our next question Let's see here. Comes from an 815 number. And he slash she wants to know what my thoughts are on last year's late round picks and UDFAs that either made the 53 or practice squad, making this year's 53 or practice squad. That being Skylar Thompson, Tanner Connor, Verone McKinley, Cameron Good, etc. Okay, so second year late round slash UDFA players. This group for me, I think Tanner Connor has a really good chance to make the roster based on how he's transformed his body. And he was a 53 player last year uh, who they went out of their way to keep and very clearly see something in. I think there is depth in the defensive backfield, but I think Verone McKinley has a pretty clear path to being on the 53 as well, unless they start playing the numbers game at corner and they do end up moving Trill Williams and then say you end up having... Javon Holland, Brandon Jones is ready to go at the start of the season. You know, if he has to start the year on the PUP and it doesn't appear to be tracking that way, but if he did, that would open up for six weeks an extra safety spot on the roster. But, you know, Brandon Jones, Javon Holland, Deshaun Elliott, your fourth safety from here, is that Verone McKinley? Is that Trill Williams? If it is Trill Williams, what does the domino effect look like as far as pushing uh, how many corners do you carry versus how many safeties do you carry? I think he's in pretty good shape. I think Cameron Good's probably facing an uphill battle, especially with the expectation that this team is going to add an interior player or two to the defensive line rotation. Uh, I think you do have some some positional versatility to be able to play stand-up or hand-in-the-dirt with Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips and Agba being more of a hand-in-the-dirt type of player, but he can rush from a two-point stance if he wanted to. And then obviously Van Ginkle, uh, Malik Reed, who they signed in free agency. I think the numbers there are against Cam Good being on the 53. Skyler's a weird one. Uh, I, I don't envy the situation that Skylar Thompson found himself continuously thrown into. And, and I do think it was apparent, you know, the preseason set a very high expectation for a lot of Dolphins fans for Skylar Thompson. But if you're looking for any great embodiment of 
how to evaluate preseason reps. Skyler was awesome in the preseason against Vanilla Looks, and he got in the regular season and was thrown in all these unideal situations and then had a couple of weeks where he was prepped to start and got, got starts. And the efficiency from a passing perspective and the, the yards per attempt, um, it really very quickly eliminated the uh, handful of people that said Skylar Thomas was the best quarterback on the roster. And if you're not watching on YouTube, I am cringing when saying that out loud. Uh, but then also the the suggestion that any quarterback could step into this offense and, and execute it like Tua was because Skylar Thompson, from a yards per attempt and net yards per attempt and efficiency standpoint, was a highly inefficient player. So you go out, you get Mike White. There is now this decision uh, from the, the league and the competition committee to change the rules that allows you to carry a third quarterback on game day. Does that will make you feel better about putting him on the 53 or would you take your chances and put him on the practice squad and then elevate him a couple of times? I don't know. Uh, I, I would be inclined to think with the injuries for Tua, uh, you would want to hold on to a third quarterback and somebody that's been in the system and has some sweat equity in the system. And that would be important to you until Tua proves otherwise. So uh, I'd expect three of those four guys uh, do end up making this 53-man roster. We got a bunch more questions that we are going to dive into here on Locked on Dolphins. But before we get there, there is no better time than right now to make the fast break to FanDuel because you can get a no-sweat first bet as a new customer on FanDuel for up to $2,500. I mean, they are big bucks we're talking about here. No-sweat first bet up to $2,500 in bonus bets back if your first bet with FanDuel does not hit. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action between the Florida Panthers and the Stanley Cup Final. Vamos Gatos. Uh, the Heat tonight trying to uh, avoid the big-time collapse against the Boston Celtics. If you think the Heat are going to get it done, go lay the money line. Right, You get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. Over at FanDuel, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get that no-sweat first bet. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official sports and betting partner of the NBA. It is a holiday, so don't mind me. I am going to pop open a cold one. It's a C4, so it's an energy drink, not a beer, but neither here nor there. You know, for the the, the vibes of the, the day off today and all the barbecues, and I'm going to take my daughter to the pool here when we're done. So that'll be exciting. First time at the public pool. She's done a couple swim lessons, but uh, 650 number is our next question. And their question is this. I know in a season or two, we'll have a hard time with decisions to make because we don't have enough money to pay all the studs we've accumulated. What's the difference between the retool we'd need to do versus the teardown year in 2018? Okay, wow. You know, I try to keep this authentic and, and read these questions for the first time when I'm on the year. Um, there's a lot of nuance to answer that question. What I would say is this. The, the primary difference is a lot of your high-dollar players now, you think about Tyreek Hill. You think about, I'd include Terrell Armstead, even though the answer that I'm going to provide is not a left tackle. You think about Emmanuel Akba. You think about Xavier uh, Howard. Okay. 
those are all big dollar amount players. And the primary difference is that now you already have players in the pipeline that are your own that you know are going to be worth that dollar amount. Tyreek Hill. Jalen Waddle is going to be worth Tyreek Hill money someday. Now, you don't have to pay him right now because he's on the third year of his rookie contract. Xavier Howard. You know whether it's Cater Kohu, and I'd be surprised if Cater gets to that stratosphere, but that dude's going to be in line for a really nice raise someday. Uh, but Javon Holland is a defensive back. Robert Hunt versus Teron Armstead. And you may get to a point where you make the new commitment to the new player and the old player stays for an extra year and you have a year of overlap where you retain it all. Emmanuel Ogba, that's going to be Jalen Phillips' money or Christian Wilkins' money. So when Miami did what they did in 2019, they did it because they had old expensive players and had no depth behind it and they didn't really have the upside of youth to buy into and pay for. So it was, well, we got a bunch of meh. So let's take every asset that we can get. Let's send it out the door. We'll cash out on Laramie Tunsil. Minka Fitzpatrick strong arms his way out. That wasn't a part of the plan, but it is what it is. And the Dolphins loaded up and took advantage. And that is the benefit is there will be transitional period in which you'll have to replace Teron Armstead. You'll have to replace Xavier Howard. But you don't have to replace them with nothing in the pipeline to step into the shoes of being the leaders of those rooms. Now you just have to go back around and find, okay, who's our next? We have two at this position. We need to find the second one. We don't need to find just the first one, let alone the second one. So there's... More to it than that, but that's a great question. Uh, one that uh, maybe we'll do a little bit more on. Might be good. Uh, the 203 number, and this seems to be a theme, wants to know which players do get extended and which don't. Um, I think all the members of that 2021 draft class are going to get a new contract, and, and that's no-brainers. I'm worried about finding room for a couple of the non-quarterback selections of the 2020 draft, and that's not including Austin Jackson and, and Noig Benogany, assuming they're out the door. Like, I'm assuming that those, that's sunk cost at this point, right? And I'm not going to sunk cost fallacy and say, oh, you got to re-sign Toronto Arms as you're starting right now. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, but Rob Hunt, Brandon Jones... Those two players, they played non-premier positions. I would re-sign Rob Hunt first and get that done. I would want them both back. But if Brandon Jones comes out and plays well this year in the Fangio system, it's a Fangio system that puts a lot of safeties in positions to be successful. Would that price him in the $6.5 million range of a Von Bell and free agency that Von Bell left Cincinnati and signed in Carolina to get market money. I'm not sure. Uh, Zach Sealer is another one that I'm a little leery about just because that's that's a player right now that's getting about $3 million. He's worth at least, pro- he, he's worth eight to $10 million more than that per season than what he's getting paid. And he just changed representation this offseason. So you know that's like front of mind. So I think you'll probably get one of the hits that you had on day two 
from the 2020 class, and you'll probably get one of the two defensive tackles. Now, I think there is a whole other conversation to have about kind of galaxy braining this of um, Christian Wilkins versus Zach Sealer and what you could get for trade compensation in either one. And I know we, we kind of touched on that briefly earlier this offseason. Um, but what if you were to let the season play out, sign one franchise tag, the other look to transition from the other? Like, there's a lot of strategy that could be involved here. And I'm not saying I'm advocating to do that. I want both of these players to be part of the Dolphins long-term. But I do think there is some exploration as far as, hey, let, let's see what are all, our, all of our avenues. So I'd be concerned about primarily, um, and, and Connor Williams as well, I, I think potentially could price himself with another good year in being something where Miami may have to say, okay, do we keep Toronto Armstead on the books for another season? Or do we try to prioritize drafting a replacement at left tackle or signing a replacement in left tackle that has a little bit more um, durability and, and maybe long-term outlook than Tehran as, as a player who's getting into his 30s and keep Connor Williams instead? So let's say Connor Williams, Robert Hunt, Brandon Jones, Christian Wilkins, Zach Sealer. I think you could probably, at best case scenario, keep three to four of those guys unless you fast-track getting other guys off the books. It's a great question. Continuing onwards, 620 number. If the Jets can't get a deal done with Quinn and Williams, should the Dolphins look at making a trade for him, especially if they can't reach an agreement with Christian Wilkins? I would not, uh, because that is probably probably multiple first-round picks and a $25 to $30 million year contract. Would you rather have Christian Wilkins and suck it up and pay him 20 or would you rather trade Christian Wilkins for you may maybe get a one? I don't know that you get a one definitively right now without the sack production based on other teams and their negotiating tactics, right? Would you rather have Christian Wilkins, pay him $20 million and suck it up, or pay Quinn and Williams $10 million more per season and send multiple first-round picks and then get back whatever you could get for Wilkins. I'd rather just pay Wilkins, who's been here, is a leader in this locker room, was the first selection of this era of the Dolphins, and I think that does carry quite a bit of weight because he's been here throughout the entire process. Uh, I just think the the return, the, the difference in the two scenarios is not dramatic enough for me to say, yes, let's, let's clearly go out and get Quinn and Williams. 954 number wants to know who our starting five offensive linemen are going to be. Okay, so we can lock in three, right? Tron Armstead, Connor Williams, Robert Hunt. Health willing, those are three guarantees to be in the starting five. I think regardless of whether Isaiah Wynn ends up at right tackle or left guard, he's your fourth best offensive lineman right now, whether you like it or not. It's a state of affairs that we're in. <sighs> And then probably Austin, right now, is your fifth, Whether he, because he can also either play right tackle or left guard. So landing spots are probably up in the air. I would be inclined to say that in that scenario, in which those five are the five, that Austin probably stays at right tackle, and you can do more to help a single player that you have a big-time question mark about. And Isaiah Wynn, if that's a big enough upgrade over 
Liam Eikenbergen and the grading that I've done for the Dolphins players that are projected to be starters, Liam's comfortably your, your lowest graded starter right now. I understand that there was some enthusiasm and he started to show some signs of life, but the issues are the issues and they've continued to be the issues. We got a bunch more questions. Uh, we're going to try and turbo round as many of them as we possibly can here on this Memorial Day episode of Locked on Dolphins. So we'll be uh, diving into those here to bring the show uh, to a close before I head out of here, try and go get my first sun uh, sunburn, base burn of the season uh, now that the pools are open. 616 number. Oh, boy. I've already, <laughs> I've already outlined. I try to read these authentically on the show for the first time, and I got a lot more than I bargained for here. Uh, 616 number. Backyard 4-on-4. Four four. QB and top three pass catching options can use a tight end or running back or just go three wide receivers. Versus top four defensive backs can use safeties or linebackers or corners. Parameters. No running of the ball. QB must stay behind the line of scrimmage. Flea flickers and having a pass catcher and quarterback swap are allowed. 10-second play clock, quote-unquote. Four downs before turnovers, but 25 yards to make a first down. Contact allowed within the first 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. 15-yard pass interference, no spot fouls. Current rosters only, and all players are at 100% health. In this scenario, which four teams are in the conference finals and which two are are in the Super Bowl, and who wins the championship? And there's, there's like a B and C to this question, too. <laughs> okay. So th- three best offensive weapons and a quarterback in effectively a seven-on-seven seven setting with a 10-second shot, shot clock. So who is the best perimeter players in the NFL? All around. I'll say the Dolphins. The Dolphins are definitely in the conference finals. Um, the quarterbacks can't run, so that that like that kills Baltimore, right? I get Pittsburgh, no. Baltimore, no. It's probably Cincinnati and Miami. Just from a who are your your three best pass catchers, and the quarterback can't run. And then who is the best coverage options to match that defensively? And I think about Cincinnati, and yeah, they they lost both of their starting safeties, but Chidobe Awuzie is good. Cam Taylor Britt looked like a really good player uh, in his rookie season. Mike Hilton's available. Uh, and then you have Dax Hill's a first-round pick. I'm going Cincinnati and Miami are the two best in the AFC. Uh, NFC-wise, it's probably San Francisco and... Philadelphia and um, I don't want to go any further. I want to dig, dig my dig a hole here. Uh, I could go down this rabbit hole. I could, I'd probably spend the next 20 minutes on this. Um, if you added presumptive offensive and defensive play callers of each team, would it change your selections? No, I don't think it would. No, I don't think it would. Um, but I, I would say this Dolphins are winning the chip in that case. Tyreek Hill, Waddle. I don't care who your options are to try to cover. Give me the Dolphins in that that in that league. Dolphins are winning the chip. 864. One question I want to get your opinion on is which player contract other than Christian Wilkins would you want to get extended and which is potentially expendable? Okay, so a player that I would look to move on from. 
and who would I want to get extended prematurely? I, I really want to get the Rob Hunt deal done. I think he's been a... You've had such a hard time getting offensive linemen, quality offensive line play. Uh, Rob is has been an anchor. Uh, I think he's really good. Uh, I know some somebody just put out their top guard set at rankings. I think it was PFF, and they had him as like a top 15, 16 guard in the NFL. And I, and I would agree with that sentiment. As far as expendable, um, it's kind of hard to, to dial in on one now just because you have uh, the season to play and the cap space situation is what the cap space situation is. So I wouldn't be motivated to move for a ton of cap space right now uh, just because you, you know you're going to have the room to execute the way that you want to in the market. You're not going to go out and get a bunch of players that are going to really make it worth your while uh, regardless. I would say the the contract that is the most easily to easy to break away from is the Agba contract when you consider coming off the injury last season didn't look as as well as he had the previous two years and then you have Chubb, Wilkin or Chubb, Phillips, Van Ginkle, Malik Reed like you got a lot of other options to rotate in. So I would say Agba's the contract when you consider the price point, the performance of last season coming off an injury and and what else they have in that room that that is probably the the easiest to pivot from or to make a case to pivot from. Uh, 732 number wants to know if I've ever seen Brian Dable and Joe Marino in the same room. And it is a screenshot, an edited screenshot of Brian Dable uh, with Joe Marino's picture next to it. And and I would agree that we have mercilessly, Joe's the, the host of Locked On Bills, unfortunately, He's my co-host on Lockdown NFL Scouting. Uh, we are best friends, and I hassle him mercilessly for looking like Brian Dable. It is on point. Uh, 954 number with this question. On the where has the 2020 Miami Dolphins offense improved in the 2023 offseason episode, you said that because the running backs didn't improve and just ran it back from last year, but you never mentioned Devon Aching, so I'm curious why adding him doesn't improve the room as he's a threat to both the run and the pass game. Just don't want to put too many eggs in the third-round running back bucket before they hatch, uh, and I do think from a um, multiplicity standpoint, you know, a lot of times backs need to showcase on passing downs uh, what they're capable of handling before they get too big of a run. And when you bring back Raheem Mostert and you bring back Jeff Wilson, you bring back Savon Ahmed, it, it, there's there's just a numbers count in front of you that kind of has you at a natural disadvantage that, yes, A-Chain, I think, is going to get some scheme touches, but I just don't know what the workload's going to look like yet. And maybe we get to the end of training camp and we see very quickly, oh, he's ahead of schedule. He's going to be a consistent part of the rotation. But until we get there, I'm, I'm under the expectation myself that the incumbents in that room are going to command uh, workload. I don't want to say majority of the workload, but they're going to demand significant amount of the, the workload. Uh, 905 number. Enjoy your Memorial Day, Kyle. Thank you. I'll resubmit my Dalvin question from last week. Okay. Does Dalvin improve the run game that much? In what capacity? I think Dalvin Cook brings you the best blend of all skill sets 
in a running back that the Dolphins would have in the room. Dalvin can run with speed. Dalvin can run with power. Dalvin runs with vision. Dalvin can be a high-volume player in the passing game and is not a liability in protection. It's not his strength, but it's not a liability. Where I think you take Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson and Devon A-Chain and A-Chain, excuse me, um, I think Dalvin's the best blend of all the best characteristics of the other backs. And what that does allow you to do is it allows you to run anything with him on the field versus if you see Jeff Wilson out there versus A-Chain versus Mostert, you're going to be expecting different things. So I think that's the biggest discrepancy between Dalvin Cook and the other backs that they have on the roster. Other, you have some other questions here uh, that we are going to tackle at a later date. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So, a couple more. 815 number asking about Agba's outlook and role this year. Uh, I think the fact that he's still here bodes well for him getting into the season, and, and he has alluded to knowing that he himself needs to have a bounce-back season after the injury last year, and uh, that the, the Dolphins did make a significant financial commitment to him, and they have continued to invest in that room and, and have positioned themselves where he's uh, not the hallmark of the edge group anymore. And I think that it possibly positions him uh, to be put in the best position to have success, but the question is... How much success can you have when you are the third option in the rush room? And is that going to warrant a $17 million cap hit next year? Probably not. That contract's going to get changed in one way, shape, or form, whether he's no longer here, whether he's traded, or whether it's restructured. And the last question comes from the 626 number. What does Tua Tungvaloa need to show this season and maybe next for him to be extended as the Dolphin, the Dolphins franchise quarterback besides durability. More consistency, I think, is probably the thing. Um, and just a continued, if you guys remember, I always admired this about Fitz. Um, you heard so much about the Dolphins players on the offensive group say how much they enjoyed working with Fitz and... Mike Gusecki told the story one time about how he was in motion on a rep and Fitz told him in motion that the ball was coming to him in the progression. And it was because Fitz got up to the line of scrimmage, saw the coverage, saw the front, saw the, saw the indicator with the motion, and he knew, based on process of elimination, where the ball was supposed to go before the ball was even snapped. And then you take your post-snap confirmation of that, and you do that, and you take the completion. And that's not to say Tua Tagovailoa isn't doing that, because I, I've seen substantial amounts of growth from Tua Tagovailoa in this regard. But continuing to become the master of the pre-snap components and, and continuing to, to create more reflect, reflexive, instinctual reactions to covered shells and corner alignments and whether you're in an over and an under front and understanding what that's going to tell you about the, the post-snap safety rotation for who's going to have to be the extra player that jumps down into the fit and where you start your eyes because of that. You know, all of those things, continuing 
to have more consistency with that so that you have more answers quicker. I don't know if you guys have seen any of the videos of um, these pass rushers going after Tom Brady in, in late stage career Tom Brady. And they all say to Tom, hey, stop throwing the ball so fast. right? And, and it's Tom understanding the protection, understanding the limitations of the play that's been called, understanding at times, look, I just got to take the five yards and move on with my life, right? Let's go get him on the next down and get into a better matchup situation. Mastering the pre-snap, mastering this offense, having the same offense year over year, the answers come quicker. And that's what I'm looking for, for from Tua in addition to staying durable and playing a full season. You start to see that kind of thing come into play for Tua Tagovailoa, and he should get extended. But he has to play all the games. He has to stay healthy. And the highs need to be paired with lower lows. And if that happens over the next 17, hopefully, what, 21, 20 games in 2023, 2024 season, and the Dolphins go win a Super Bowl, then, like, yeah, sign the contract. But you got to do that first. Those are my thoughts on it. Those are my thoughts here on this Memorial Day episode of Locked On Dolphins. I appreciate those of you who reached out with questions. I appreciate those of you who make Locked On Dolphins a part of your daily routine, the everydayers. You can find us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Kyle Krabs. I'm out of here. Peace. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'll be back again tomorrow with another episode of Locked On Dolphins.